Good morning, church family. Thank you for joining us for our 1030 service here in person. And those of you that are joining us now online, I believe we've switched our online service feed to the 1030 service today. Uh, So I know that's a change up for some and just want to make sure everybody understands that now. The service that's going to be online is the 1030 service, and that's the one that's going to be recorded. And the reason why is We've already had one under our belt, and we've made all of our mistakes in the first one, so hopefully the second one will be better. So that's the idea of that. But today we begin a new sermon series entitled Impact Evangelism, and we're going to start in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. And uh, Matthew chapter 28, we're going to start at verse 16. We're going to talk about the opportunity for evangelism this week. Next week, we're going to talk about the, the equipping of uh, evangelism in Acts chapter 4 and 5. So if you want to get ahead in the, uh, the series, you can read Acts chapter 4 and 5. And then the last week, we're going to talk about how to deal with the culture in evangelism as we look at Paul addressing the Athenians at Mars Hill and uh, that situation there. And we're looking forward to this opportunity on that Sunday on uh, the 26th. We're having our friend day and we're excited about plus one Sunday. And everybody in here this, this morning has a, at least one friend. And you can buttonhole that person, try to engage them, try to, try to uh, let them know that you're going to invite them for lunch uh, somewhere, somewhere uh, here in, uh, locally. One of our finer restaurants, uh, our finest restaurant, maybe Cracker Barrel here in, in Buckeye or wherever. You can invite them for lunch or you can have them over to your home. And that'll be an incentive for them and for you uh, to be able to get a guest here. And our intention is to get them under the message of the gospel um, so that if they're not saved, they can get saved. And then also uh, those that might be saved might understand, I can connect with this church and they'll come back maybe the following week for Palm Sunday and the week after that for Easter Sunday. So we have a lot going on in preparation for Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. We're wanting everyone to participate in our evangelism efforts. And so today at the end of the service, Pastor David's going to give it a call for us to commit uh, to being a part of our evangelism efforts, I would like to see 250 different people here that call Desert Hills their church home to be involved in evangelism. So that's not families, but 250 different individuals. So if you're a young person, we'd like you to be involved in passing out flyers. Uh, simply taking a flyer, putting it in the door. If you see somebody out in their front lawns just saying, hey, listen, I have an invitation for our Easter services at Desert Hills, and uh, they'll get that. They'll see the information about the epic egg hunt in our sunrise services at uh, Victory and Sundance Golf Club, and then the three services here. So we're trying to get 250 people involved. If everyone spent two hours passing out flyers, you could probably get out 100 flyers And if we had 250 different people give 100 flyers out, we'd easily make our goal. Now, my wife and I are committed to do about uh, 2,500 of those flyers. Between now and Easter Sunday, we're going to try to give out about 10% of those ourselves. If we can do 2,500, you can do 100. You can do it. We'll start early in the morning. For, for the most part, my wife and I will probably go out at 7. We'll go until about 9 or 9.30, and uh, then I'll, I'll do the rest of my work after that. Now, most of you can't do that. I understand. That's what I do. I am involved in this type of thing, but you could take a Saturday on March the 25th and give two hours, or the next Saturday and give two hours. 
and pass out 100 flyers. Or you don't have to stop at 100 flyers. You could say, I'm going to take four stacks of 50, and I'm going to give out 200 flyers. Man, if that pastor can give out 2,500 and his wife, I can give a tithe of that, amen, in effort. And, and the more information we get out, the more opportunities people have to get an invitation to come, and the more opportunities people have to maybe, if they're not saved, to come here and have their heart open to the truth of the gospel and be saved. So I want to ask you a question this morning. It's a rhetorical question. What is the main purpose of the church? What is the main purpose of the church? Now, some would tell you that the main purpose of the church is fellowship. And I understand the Bible does say in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, after the 3,000 people were saved at Peter preaching at the Feast of Pentecost, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. But the word fellowship there is different from what most of us understand fellowship is. Most of us understand fellowship as getting together, having friendship, uh, you know, exchanging uh, uh, stories and, and, and what's happened in our life. And, and none of that is wrong. That's all healthy and good. Uh, but the word fellowship there is the Greek word koinonia, which has the idea of you are communing with somebody to elevate them spiritually. So some people believe that the main purpose of the church is fellowship. church is teaching. And while I'm an advocate of preaching the whole counsel of God, in fact, Paul challenged Timothy. He said, hey, Timothy, remember to do something. Preach the word. And I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to try to be instant, in season, out of season. I'm going to reprove, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. I'm going to try to give people what they need to know. Some people think the main purpose of the church is service. I understand the Bible does talk about service. In fact, one of the jobs of a pastor teacher, it says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastor teachers for the perfecting of the saints, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, for the work of the ministry so the saints can be involved in the service of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. But let me share this. If we are not evangelizing, will we have people to fellowship with? Will we have people to teach? And will we have people engaged in service? You see, the primary purpose of the church today is to fulfill the greatest commission, to make disciples. And let me say this, Jesus' last command should be our first priority. Now, Alan Nelson said this, he said, Along, the longer a church has been in existence, the more its resources go towards its own preservation rather than towards outreach and evangelism. Our tendency is to design ministries that meet our own needs as opposed to the needs of those who have not yet entered the kingdom of God. And let me say this, churches all across America right now have forgotten the main reason they should exist. In fact, 
4,500 churches close their doors every year with only about 3,000 churches starting to replace them. Right now, 100,000 churches in America are in the throes of death because they have forgotten the reason they exist. Now, the traditions of men are often in conflict with the commission of God and what churches need to ask and what Christians need to ask is, is my tradition more important to me than seeing the lost come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Now, churches are to be mission stations seeking to bring the lost to Jesus Christ. Churches are to be rescue missions trying to rescue those that are hurting. Churches are to be lighthouses to those that are on the rough waters of life to help them see that there's a way. C.T. Studd, the famous missionary from yesteryear and cricketer, said this, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Now, the New Testament gives record to at least ten appearances of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in eight of those appearances, Jesus gave a definitive instruction how their disciples, the disciples, were to operate. And in five, he commands his followers to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, the impetus of the commission is the fact that the disciples had seen and met the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And because of that, they're consumed with a passion to tell others because they have met the resurrected Jesus. And may I suggest when evangelism is lacking in Christians, could it be that we're not meeting on a regular basis with our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ? Could it be that we're not drinking from His well? Could it be that we're not abiding in Him as a branch that cannot bear fruit of itself? Or maybe... It's because we've never met the resurrected Savior at all. Now, the setting here in Matthew chapter 28 takes place in a place known as Galilee. It was called Galilee of the Gentiles. The meeting place is 80 miles or so from Jerusalem, from the events of the resurrection. This is a place where Jesus had appointed his disciples to meet him at a certain mountain. Now, it's interesting to note that the Gospel of Matthew ends on a mountain just as the teaching ministry of Jesus had begun with the Sermon on the Mount. Now, important events all throughout the Bible happened in mountains. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount revealed Jesus' kingdom was a kingdom of truth to be lived out in his followers as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. The Mount of Transfiguration revealed who Jesus was, God the Son and the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And the Mount of the Great Commission reveals God's plan to reach the world through his followers and the church. And here's what the Bible tells us in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
Now, there was a crowd that was assembled. It wasn't just the 11 because the 11 wouldn't have doubted. The 11 were ultimately brought to worship because they had seen Jesus. And so when the 11 saw Jesus, they worshiped him. Jesus was worshiped by the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. Jesus had been worshiped by his disciples in Matthew chapter 14 when the, the, the winds and the seas obeyed him. And Jesus was worshiped at the resurrection when the ladies went to the garden tomb to anoint his body and had been told and seen that he had resurrected from the dead. And now here Jesus is worshipped by his inner circle. They were acknowledging the fact that he was God and Savior of the world. Jesus had a work for them and all of his followers to accomplish, but before that work was accomplished, they needed to worship. They needed to worship. And let me say this, worship and work Always go hand in hand. Who you worship, you will serve. And who you serve, it's because you worship them. And Jesus was asking for the greatest service ever. He was about to present to them and, and launch them on the greatest task ever set upon mankind. The task known as the Great Commission. And this morning, as we look at the greatest commission, we see it's a commission that we too, as followers of Jesus and believers, are to embark on as well. And as we look at this commission, we see, first of all, in the text, the authority of the commission. Notice what the Bible says, and Jesus spake and said unto them, saying, all power, or we would say authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, it's interesting, when Jesus came on the scene in Matthew chapter 7, the Bible tells us that he taught as one having authority and not as the scribe. So when he spoke, he spoke with authority. When he spoke, people, uh, he commanded their attention. When he spoke, people understood that his words weren't simply originating from him. They were originating from somewhere else. We see that in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 8, he performed miracles that demonstrated his, his authority over elements and over demons. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 9, it says that he had the power to forgive sins. He had the authority to forgive sins. And now his authority is emphasized because he has proven to have conquered sin and conquered death in his resurrection, and he claims absolute authority. He claims authority over everything in heaven and everything in earth. In other words, his authority supersedes every other authority the disciples had in their life. In fact, his authority is superior to all other spiritual authorities. His authority is superior to all other uh, earthly authorities. He is speaking to his people, and he wants them to know and understand he has the authority, he has the power to commission them to a task, and they are supposed to follow. And then we see not only the authority of the commission, we see the action of the commission. The Bible makes it clear that we are to go. Notice what it says in 19. It says, go ye therefore. Now, any time in the Bible when you see words like wherefore or therefore, they're always there for a reason. And the reason those words are therefore is they're always referring back to what has already been said and what has already happened. Now, because of Jesus' authority, we can go. Because Jesus conquered sin and Jesus conquered death and the resurrection, we can go. Because we are his followers, he asks us 
to go. And the action is you get literally to the, uh, the, the original language. It's not just simply go. It's as you are going. Now, I'm not against outreach times. We have outreach time on the 26th, and, and we have other outreach times for the teenagers and, and for different small groups that are going to be going on throughout this season of outreach uh, here until Easter Sunday. I'm not against outreach times. But here's the thing. I'm to be a witness all the time. It's, it's, it should come as naturally as breathing, as my heart beating, because I'm a child of God. I witness as I am going. As I go about my business, as I go to the, the, the market, as I go into work, as I go and interact with my family, as I am going, I am to witness. The action is to go. The action is to make disciples. Notice what it says. It says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now, the word teach means more than simply the transfer of information. The Greek word for that is the Greek word didasko which we get the word didactic from, which means you're imparting one piece of information to someone else. But the word that's used here is the word matheneo, which is a word that means literally to make followers or disciples. In other words, we are to convey the truth of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection using the word of God empowered by the, the work of the Spirit so that men and women and boys and girls can be converted from sin and, and, and become a follower of Jesus and be a disciple and then take the task of evangelism and making disciples themselves. And notice what the Bible says, we are to teach or make disciples of all nations. You see, the gospel isn't regulated to some nations and some skin tones and some ethnicities and some socioeconomic groups. The gospel is to be for everyone. I like the fact that our church is uh, uh, multi cultural, multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic. I like the fact that in our church we have people that maybe have some means. We have people that have very little means. <laughs> we have a lot of people in between. We have people that have darker skin tones. We have people that have lighter skin tones. I mean like real light skin tones. And we have people in between. And you know what? Heaven's going to be just like that. But we're to make disciples of all nations. Notice what Jesus said before he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1. He said, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. A witness is somebody that testifies of the things that they have seen and heard. You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, their city, in their Judea, their state, in their Samaria, their country, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Because we have met the resurrected Savior as the disciples did, we are to be consumed with and following the authority of our Lord in making disciples and evangelizing the world world. Now, you may say, I don't always know what to say. May I say, I don't always know what to say. I've been a Christian since 1986. I've witnessed to people thousands of times, 
And many times in those moments when I know I'm having a gospel conversation, I find myself praying to the Lord in my heart and saying something like this, Lord, I have no idea how to get through this person. Lord, I feel foolish. I have nothing in common with this person at all. But God, help me. I just want to be a voice. I just want to be a tool. I just want to be a mouthpiece. And God, as long as I can give some of your truth and some of your word out, I know that your word never returns void. It always accomplishes that which you please. God, help me as I try to convert. You may be nervous. You may not know the words to say. You may not feel like you're eloquent. You may not have answers to all their questions or answers to any of their questions. But you know what you can do? You can tell them what happened to you. You can tell them what happened to you. you know, it's funny, with people, with me, I'll, I'll, they'll say, you're a pastor. I'm, yeah, I'm a pastor, but you know what? In July of 1986, I was coming out of an Ozzy Osbourne concert. The tour was The Ultimate Sin. Metallica opened up with Master of the Puppets. And as I was coming out of the Saginaw Civic Center, there were some people there with a, a chick track, This Is Your Life. And they tried to open that track and explain to me how I was a sinner lost in need of a Savior. And then unless I repented of my sin and turned to the Savior by faith, I was going to spend eternity in hell. And I told them, I'm okay. But then I ended up going to church, and there was a young lady that was burdened for me, and I didn't know she was burdened for me. I thought she liked me. And when the invitation was given at church, I didn't know what an invitation was. She'd go forward, and she would pray, and she would cry, and she did that half a dozen times. And finally, I said, Verseda, why is it when every time the preacher preaches, you, you go forward and you cry, what have you done that's so wrong? And she said, I'm not crying for me. I'm crying for you. And I said, well, what have I done? And she says, I'm not sure that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I said, I don't. And she said, would you like to know? I said, yes, I would. And I went forward and I learned how that as a sinner I was in need of a Savior. I couldn't save myself and that the only one that could save me was Jesus and I needed to put my faith and trust in Him and repent of my sin. And I did and that day I was saved. But you know what? People looking at me as a pastor today, they're like, they can't relate. Now, you've never had an Ozzy Osbourne concert. Yeah, I was. I can give you the, the song list. I can tell you what happened on the stage. I can tell you what songs Metallica played. I can sing them too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> tell them how you got saved. I remember the first time I went uh, on organized outreach and the only thing I knew was John 3.16. So anytime I, I witnessed to somebody before I went to some organ, 
I led my sister Sarah to Christ knowing just John 3.16. I led my sister Diana and Nora to Christ knowing just John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I sat them down and showed them how God loved them and that as sinners they couldn't save themselves and that they needed to turn to God through and receive his son Jesus Christ as their savior and they could be saved. And they prayed and received Christ. And I led friends to Christ that way. But the first time I went to somebody's door, not knowing what to do or what to say, I was supposed to be the silent partner. And so our church had a big teen ministry, and I uh, went with this guy named Joe and Scott, and they were ahead of me, and they were to be uh, the ones talking. I was to be the silent partner, and because I was so excited about Jesus, they knocked on the door, and Joe said, my name is Joe, and this is Scott, and this is our friend Adam, and he's excited about Jesus and would like to talk to you about something. And I'm like, no! I went to the door. I fumbled my way through. I quoted John 3.16, told them that God loved them and he wanted them to be saved. Here's a piece of information. Come to church sometime. And I walked away and felt so unequipped and ashamed. And he said, I was only supposed to watch And you guys made me talk. And they said, well, we figured you were so excited about Jesus, you wanted to tell everybody. I, I said, I am excited about Jesus, but I've never done that. I went in that bus, and I got that gospel track out, and I decided I was going to learn the plan of salvation as it was presented in that gospel, gospel track and memorize those verses and I decided never again would I ever have a moment where I at least wasn't somewhat equipped to share my faith. Now, that may not be you, but you can take a flyer and say, I'd like you to be my friend on Plus One Sunday. I'd like you to come to our Easter Sunday services at Desert Hills. I'd like you to come to a sunrise service. It's going to be a special experience. We're going to be there at 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I think they're bringing the good donuts, Krispy Kreme donuts there. You may not feel as equipped as you would like to be, but you know what the Bible tells us? It says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, Jesus' sake. It says, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then it says this, we have this treasure. What treasure? The treasure of Jesus in earthen vessels. We're just a clay pot that the excellency may be of God and not of ourselves. So if you already feel inferior in carrying out the Lord's command to make disciples and evangelize the world, I want you to understand the Lord knows that we're going to feel inferior. The Lord knows that we're going to feel just like a clay pot. But you know what? The important thing is not the clay pot. It's not us. The important thing is what we have. 
more importantly, who we have, and that's Jesus. And we have an opportunity to share him with others. We are to go. We are to make disciples of all nations. We're to help them to identify. Notice what the Bible says. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, a spiritual birth could never occur by a physical means. In Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Nicodemus was a ruling Pharisee. He was a who's who during Jesus' day. And and the Bible says this about his encounter. Uh, Jesus encounters him. He comes by night, and Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about two births. He's talking, first of all, about a physical birth. And then secondly, he's talking about a spiritual birth. And so notice what Jesus says in response to Nicodemus. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, we all know what it means. Any of you ladies that have ever had children, you know that once the water breaks, there's nothing that you can do that's going to stop that baby from coming. Once the water breaks, the baby's going to come. That's speaking of a physical birth. And then he says, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So man needs to be born again. Man needs a spiritual birth. It has been said, he who's born once dies twice. A physical death and a spiritual death. He who's born twice dies once. And that's what Jesus is talking about. So a spiritual birth could never happen by a a physical means. In fact, in verse 6, Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now, baptism identifies a new believer as coming under the authority of the triune God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism identifies a new believer as walking in newness of life, that a death and a burial and a resurrection has occurred in his life. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 6. It says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into his death that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we should also walk in newness of life and baptism is a form of confession before others Jesus said whosoever therefore shall confess me before men him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. So let me say it this morning. If you are here today and you've been saved, you've received Jesus as the payment of your sins and the Lord of your life, you're not trusting in anything except Jesus Christ and him alone to take you to heaven and to give you eternal life and you've not yet professed your faith in believers. Baptism, I ask, why? Why? And then secondly, I ask, why not on March the 26th? You can sign up through our website. You can sign up at Geth Services at the end of the service. And I promise I won't hold you down longer than 10 seconds, okay? I promise. It'll just be quick, all right? It won't even be 10 seconds unless one of you husbands or wives want to pay me a little bit, all right? No, it'll just be quick. Uh, Baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, splash, splash, all right? And in all the years that I've done this, I haven't had a problem yet. I had one person try to drag me down in the baptistry one time, but that was about it. 
What else are we to do? We are to go. We are to make disciples. We are to help them identify as disciples through believer's baptism. And then we're to teach disciples to learn. Now, the disciples of Jesus are not called to get decisions. Did you hear that? My job is not to just simply get decisions. My job is to make, as a Christian, and every one of us, we're to make disciples. Now, years ago, we had a couple of guys that were coming to our church, and they were excited about evangelism, and they had a lot of zeal. They didn't have a whole lot of knowledge, and, and, and we would have Saturday outreach, and they would show up, and they'd go out, and they'd come back, and they'd say, hey, pastor, I had 10 people saved today, and, and, and the next week, hey, pastor, I had 15 people saved today, and I'm like, man, that's awesome, that's wonderful. I said to the one guy, I said, let's go visit him next week. So I got his names, got his addresses. I drove, went to the 10 people's houses first. Nobody wanted anything to do with us. Next week, went out and visited the 15 people. Nobody wanted anything to do with us. So I had a teaching moment. I said, you know, the Bible says of the gospel, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I said, people that have the gospel aren't ashamed of it, and there's a problem. Every one of these people that you said made a profession of faith probably didn't have a confession of faith because none of them, 25 of them, not one of them, wanted anything to do with us. I said, could it have been possible that you were aiming for getting decisions as opposed to making disciples? And I said, probably what happened is they knew that you would not leave until you did something for them or they did something for you. And when they knew you wouldn't leave until they did something for you, they did whatever they wanted to get you on their way. They really didn't feel like they had a choice in it. They really didn't feel like it was their decision because none of them, absolutely none of them, wanted anything to do with us. Now, mind you, I have been all throughout the community of Buckeye. When I was in Rancho Cucamonga pastoring there, all the areas surrounding our church, I had knocked on multiple times, personally trying to invite people, personally trying to evangelize people. I am for uh, evangelism. I am for getting the gospel out. I am for talking to people. I am for confrontational evangelism. Any type of evangelism that you're for, I'm probably for, and I've done it. I, I have a heart for people knowing the gospel. I was reached because of people carrying the gospel. But you know what? My job isn't to get decisions. My job is to make disciples. And there's a difference. And that's our job as well, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You see, part of the Great Commission is a responsibility to teach others what they need to know. Now, that's why we teach in messages things people need to know, alongside of giving life application. That's why our staff and our leaders and myself on a weekly basis meet with people one-on-one -on -one for discipleship because we want to teach others what they need to know. We want to help them to observe all things whatsoever he has commanded us. 
Now, here's what the Bible says in Peter about the desire that every Christian should have to learn. Peter says, as newborn babes, we're to desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. It says, if so, that you have tasted the Lord is gracious. In other words, if you have tasted of the grace of God, if you have been saved and born again, you as a Christian are going to automatically have a desire to learn and understand and yearn for the word of God. And so, as understanding that people have that desire anyways, we as Christians are to teach them what they need to know. Now, some churches set the bar as low as possible as far as teaching is concerned because they think, you know what, I don't want to preach anything that might be controversial. I don't want to preach anything that might be too hard for people. I don't want to preach anything that might be offensive. I don't want to preach anything that might be too, uh, too elevated. And they set the bar so low, their people never know a thing. And then some people set the bar so high, they expect every person in their congregation to have a theological degree and then some teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then there's one last thing, our ally in the commission. Notice what Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. It's interesting, at the beginning of Matthew, Jesus was named Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus promised that where two or more were gathered in his name, he would be in the midst of them in Matthew chapter 18, in verse 20, where two or more gathered in together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And now the presence of God in Christ by the Holy Spirit is promised to his followers as they carry out the great commission. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. In other words, as we fulfill our responsibilities in carrying out the greatest commission given to us as Christians, we're not doing it alone. We're not doing it alone. We have the Holy Spirit guiding us and illuminating us the truth of the gospel of God. One of the greatest privileges and joys I've ever had as a Christian, not just as a pastor, one of the greatest joys and privileges I've ever had is to open up the word of truth and to see people like a light go on, get the message of the gospel and to be saved. One of the greatest joys that I have ever had. I've made hole-in-ones as a golfer. I've scored touchdowns as an athlete. I've won championships as a wrestler. I've done all kinds of things. But you know what? All of them pale in comparison to seeing people receive Jesus as their Lord and Master. Now, on average, in the world right now, 1.78 people die every second. 107 people die every minute. And 6,390 people die every hour. So right now in the hour that we're in, over 6,000 people have died while worldwide as we've sat here. Now as Christians, we have the truth. And we have friends, and we have neighbors, and we have relatives, and we have co-workers, all who have a precious soul that will either spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. What will we do to fulfill 
the Lord Jesus' command for the greatest commission. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together this morning. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for the fact that although it was written some 2,000 years ago, it still speaks today. And although we can go through a familiar passage to some, it still speaks and it's still alive and it still motivates. So God, I pray for those that might be here having never been saved, having never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I pray that today they would come to the knowledge of the truth. And God, I pray for those that are saved but need to be a part of what you're wanting to do in our world today to be a part of the greatest commission. Co, meaning you're partnering with us, God, on a mission to evangelize and reach the world with the message of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, God, to see the opportunity and the importance. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning. I wonder who would say, Pastor, I'm here today. And I'm not sure that I'm on my way to heaven, but I need some prayer. If that's you, could I pray for you while heads are bowed and eyes are closed? An uplifted hand, anyone? Anyone like that today? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty today. Thank you for your honesty. Several hands around the room. I want you to understand that God loves you. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ came to live a perfect life, ultimately to give his life as our perfect sacrifice. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus took the payment. Jesus paid the price. And we need to receive what he's done for us in order to be saved. If you're here today and you've never received God's payment given through his son, Jesus Christ, we have these little cafe tables at the front right now or after the service. You can find one of these pastors. They'd be more than happy to show you and affirm to you what the Bible says about you knowing for sure, but it has to be your decision. We're not called to get decisions. We're called to make disciples. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe today the Lord was speaking to you. And your response to the greatest commission, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, could I pray for you with an uplifted hand? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, Lord, please be with these hands. God, be with these hearts. Lord, just continue to guide and direct in our lives and help us as we see the opportunity to partner with you, God, in what you're doing in this world. Help us to understand. We don't have to have all the words to say. Help us to understand. We don't have to have all the answers. Help us to say, help us to understand, God, we don't have to have uh, all the, uh, the eloquence that maybe some others have, but help us to understand, God, we're just a clay pot. We're just an earthen vessel. And the important thing that we do have is the treasure of Jesus.